0: Sports Radio 92.9, the game. It's time to play the game. It's time to play the game. <laughs> it may be
1: the nighttime, but
0: the sports talk doesn't stop. Sports Talk Radio that's live, local. And not for the faint of heart. Oh, you didn't know? Sometimes angry. Telling it like it is. You insulted him a little bit. You got a little out of order yourself. And pretty much always right. Don't ever argue with the big dog. Big dog is always right. Text or call 404-741-0929 and be part of the show. Well, we're waiting. Live from the Kia Studios, it's time for the John Chuckery Show. Serving you up sports on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome into Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Yes, it is time for the John Chuckbury Show. Hanging out with you here on this Tuesday. Hope everybody had a great Labor Day weekend. So, uh, obviously, a lot of college foosball. Brother, I just, this weekend, I just sat back. My daughter was at a camp, uh, like a retreat and all that. Didn't get home till yesterday and Saturday. All day and all night after we got done with the college football show, I just vegged out and just watched college foosball all day and all night long. So we ask you to download the Odyssey app. You're not in the car as much. You want to listen in. Put the Odyssey app on one of your devices today. Take the smartphone. Take the Alexa speakers. Take the tablet. Take your Texas Instruments calculator, your turntable, your boombox, disc, whatever your device is. Just download on something to be able to catch us when you're on the go. Social media is at 92 on the game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, best way to be a part of the show, follow me on my personal Twitter page, at JMCH 316. That, of course, your water cooler talking points three to six months in advance. of anybody else that is out there. We've got Day Day producing the show, I think. Dylan was here earlier. And then he's not producing. Day Day is. So, I think Day Day, you're here till 9. And then Marshall Parker's coming in <laughs> at 9 to start producing. Or how does this work? No, nah, I got you. I'm here with you. Hold okay. me down till 10. So, I'm not going to see Alec Campbell coming in about 9 o'clock. No, nah, no, nah, okay. All right. I'm just I'm all confused about who's producing, who's not, and all that kind of stuff. So, all right, we get ready for Braves baseball. As uh, Braves sit one game back after a Monday night off, Braves sit one game back of the New York Mets in the standings. Who, by the way, the Mets are in action right now as we speak. They've already started play. They are in Pittsburgh to take on the god awful, low life, flea bag Pittsburgh Pirates. So we'll see what uh, what happens there. Um, But obviously the Braves start their West Coast road trip where two with the Oakland A's tonight. And let me say, the godforsaken disgrace, there is no organization in Major League Baseball that is a bigger, just bag organization than the Oakland A's. They're right now, and I don't blame the players, they're right now playing with a $25 million payroll. Max Scherzer himself is getting $43 million. This year He makes almost twice as much as the entire A's payroll right now. They are and, and they can't figure their stadium out. they don't want to pay anybody. You know they got rid of Matt Olson and Matt Chapman to start the year. So anybody that was of value, they already traded him before the season started. They got rid of more guys. Now they don't pay anybody. they don't want to sign anybody. Their owner's worth about five and a half billion dollars with a B. They are the most disgraceful organization in Major League Baseball. Kyle Wright's on the mound tonight. He has 17 wins. The Oakland A's have only won 22 games at home for the whole season. They as a team have only won 22 times. Kyle Wright himself has won 17 games. They are 35 games below 500. They are 50 and 85 right now. And they were... The best organization in the American League in the 70s. I mean, even more than the Yankees. They won three straight World Series, 72, 73, 74. Reggie was the MVP of the league. Vida Blue, Catfish Hunter, Joe Rudy, Burt Campaneris, Gene Tennis. They, they were an unbelievable organization. And Charlie Finley, of course, was cheap. And then he tried to sell everybody. And baseball is like, uh-uh, you can't just sell off. They tried to sell Raleigh Fingers to the Red Sox. Literally, sell guys off to other teams. And the commissioner stepped in and was like, no, no, no. You guys, you can't do this. Charlie Finley, the man who, you know, you know what else Charlie Finley did day-day? You know, he tried to introduce the yellow baseball. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, the, the, the yeah. like a neon yellow uh-huh. baseball, like a tennis ball. He tried to introduce that. They actually tried that for a little bit and tried to play with a, with a uh, colored baseball. So, anyway. But Braves don't start uh, until 940 <clears throat> this evening, as we said. Kyle Wright on the mound. Your lineup very quickly. Um, Ronnie is leading off, but again, um, another night at DH. So that means that Ronnie Dansby-Riley, Olsen, Contreras behind the dish, Grissom, and then Harris-Marcelo Zuna will play left, and Grossman will play right, and Kyle Wright, who's been nothing short of outstanding. We talk about how the Braves are going to have the two rookies of the year. They might have two of the top three Cy Young winners in the National League, because I think Alcantara... He's probably still going to win the Cy Young. But Kyle Wright's 17-5 with a 2.85 ERA. Max Fried is 13-5 with a 2.48 ERA. And the Braves, by the way, have, have finished two times where they've had teammates that finished in the top three of the Cy Young. They did it a few times with Glavin, Smoltz, and Maddox uh, before. So it, that wouldn't be uncharted territory. But they could very realistically have two of the three top Cy Young guys in the National League when all is said and done. But Kyle Wright's been outstanding, 154 and two-thirds innings pitched, 150 strikeouts in that time, only 43 walks. He's averaging three-and-a-half strikeouts to walks. Unbelievable year. They've had 1.125 whip. So Braves get going uh, one game out. We'll see what happens. Look, interesting road trip. Um, This is a sneaky little stretch for the Braves. They'll throttle Oakland. But at Seattle, who's right now fighting for the wild card in the American League, they've had a good season. Then on to San Francisco. Okay, it's always tough to play in San Francisco. They're always usually pretty good at home. So that's a that's a sneaky series to watch going out and playing the Giants and such. And the Giants, by the way, have played well. They've won four in a row, so they're playing well here of late. This is a sneaky little stretch for the Braves. Meanwhile, the Mets they're in Pittsburgh then they go to Miami and then home with the Cubs those three teams day day ask me how many games below 500 are the A's Cubs and uh Pirates no uh, sorry Cubs who would i say Cubs Pirates and Marlins ask me how many games below 500 those three teams are how many games 80 wow. those three combined. teams are combined 80 games below 500, 80 with an 8, 8 80 games below 500. The Braves have 84 wins on the season. So, you know, again, we know the Mets have a, you know, a glorified AAA schedule most of the rest of the way, although they've got a couple, they got one little interesting stretch when they're in Milwaukee and I think it's Philadelphia. You know, they've got a couple of little stretches themselves, but P.U., So we'll see what happens with the Braves on the West Coast. You know, eight games, I believe it is, that they have uh, on the West Coast here before coming back uh, home. But believe it or not, we're in September. It's only, what, 27 games, I think, left. I think it's 27 games that they have left. It'll go by in the blink of an eye. You know, but before you know it, it'll go by in the blink of an eye. So we'll keep you up to date about what goes on uh, there. Uh, We do get ready. It's Falcons game week, right, at home with the god-awful New Orleans Saints. We'll talk about what Chad Ochocinco had to say a little bit later on on What's Bugging Chuckery tonight, but uh, it's hate week, I guess, as Freaky would call it. The the, the Swampers. Uh, Anyway, um, look, hope springs eternal, right? We'll hear from Arthur Smith because I feel bad for Arthur Smith. He's getting asked every dumb question imaginable. I mean, every dumb question that somebody can come up with. Day-day. Call up all the media guys and tell them to just listen into this show so that they'll be a little bit smarter about <laughs> how things operate and stuff. Right, exactly. Honestly, and and there's a couple of the guys that I like, that I know and like, and and interact with, and and you know have them on different platforms. So it's 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 again though some of the questions. It's just come on, like guys, you know. Anyway, uh, fun weekend in the world of college football. We're going to talk to our buddy Chip Towers coming up at seven forty this evening, that was a thrashing at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And how much of it was how good the scheme and game plan was that the Bulldogs had versus their personnel just overwhelmed Oregon, that they just had way too much personnel on both sides of the football. And don't look now. You can laugh all you want. But if you handed out the Heisman Trophy after one week, Stetson Bennett would be right there in the discussion. We know Christopher Smith was the defensive player of the week in the SEC. He's going to be a handful all year long. Remember in the early part of Mark Ricks in what, 2001, 2002, right? Sean Jones, Thomas Davis, then Greg Blue, right? Remember when they had those safeties at Georgia, when Brian Van Gorder was the defensive coordinator? Christopher Smith is just a monster. He's terrific. And look, Tech last night, you know, at times they can't get out of their own way. I'm starting to question how good they're coached. They need more playmakers on offense. They got to get some things figured out. You know, that game was close for a while. A a definite reason why that game was close for a while is because Clemson's offense stunk it up again. Stunk it up again. Couldn't run the football. DJU wasn't throwing it well at all. Their offense was stinking up the joint. It kept tech in that game. And then finally everything caught up and then talent won out and, you know, from there. So, um, but it was a good weekend overall in the world of college foosball. You know, Ohio State won, but wasn't immensely impressive in in what they did. North Carolina had to hang on for dear life against App State. Um, just was a wild weekend in in college football all the way, uh, all the way around. Uh, you know, Tennessee looked good on, uh, what was that, Thursday or Friday night when they played. They looked really good. Um, they looked like their offense is going to make it difficult for some people. Alabama, obviously, they just completely rolled and throttled. a and you know, again, I understand level competition. I thought the Florida-Utah game was fantastic. That, the, those two games were a lot of fun on Saturday night, Florida and Utah and Ohio State-Notre Dame. All, all four of those teams were. I mean, they were in a fist fight with each other. Every yard was a fist fight in both of those games. Yeah, especially. Uh, I mean, both of them really. But the. I think I. I really enjoyed that FSU LSU game. Oh yeah, that game was that game was outstanding. Yeah. Like that game was that game was another heavyweight slugfest yeah. out there. Yeah. And look, give Florida State credit. You know they're getting some things done. You know they've looked good in their first couple of weeks. They're getting it done. Mike Norvell might get this thing on track. I thought Arkansas had a good win over Cincinnati, and I'll say Cincinnati gave away so many points in that game. I mean, so many points. They just kept leaving and leaving and leaving and leaving points on the field all night long. Houston had to survive against UTSA. NC State had to survive against East Carolina. A lot of good college football that was played um, over the weekend. So we'll talk to Chip Towers. We'll get into uh, Georgia State. By the way, that game was closed for a while, and then South Carolina it got out of hand there, and it just became blowout city. Um, but look, they've got North Carolina this week. After the way North Carolina played, no reason why State can't roll up some points on on North Carolina. So, uh, and by the way, give Vanderbilt credit. First time since 2018 that they're two and zero. They beat the Fighting West Durham's of uh, Elon. So. Really good weekend of college football. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But again, we'll catch up with Chip Towers and we'll talk some Georgia Bulldogs with him. When we get back, though, where we are with the Falcons as we head into week one, all kinds of news and thoughts to get into here. Chuckery hanging out with you in the Kia Studios. Sports right now to the game in the Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio 929, the game back at it on the John Chuck Show, live in the Key Studios, Tuesday night with you. 404 929 that's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line, open and ready for your comments. Odyssey app catch on the go. Social media at 910 the game at JMCH316 on the Twitter machine. By the way, too, we didn't mention um, Atlanta United lost again. Uh, can we officially put a fork into Atlanta United in their season this year? We officially, just go ahead and... Not officially, oh. technically, oh, okay. especially when you talk to oh. Mike Conti. Are they, uh, they going to they gonna ever start Joseph again, or are they just going to let him come off the bench <sighs> and have to try to bail us out of these games? I, I mean, don't know. Anyway, I mean, isn't the bloom kind of off his narrows at this point? He hasn't scored in like three months, it feels like. Yeah. I know it's like August 5th or whatever was the last time they scored, but it feels like it's been like three months since he scored, and we have to go break glass and get Joseph off the bench and... You know, hope he can bring us back. But anyway, um, not good times for Atlanta United. I, I, I don't see how they're going to make the playoffs when all is said and done. But uh, speaking of playoffs and the Atlanta Falcons, as we get ready for week one of the NFL season, so where are we with the Atlanta Falcons as we head in this first game? Now, we were not here last Friday, right? We talked about the 53-man roster, and we said there could be some IR moves and things like that. And lo and behold, Friday, we got all kinds of news about IR. I want to start with, though, the first guy I want to start with about that is Deion Jones, okay? Remember Deion Jones? And he had that simple, easy, just a, a fun little procedure on his shoulder, just a little cleanup, no big deal, no issues, no problems. And it kept him out of mandatory minis, kept him out of training camp, all the way up until the Jacksonville game, where all of a sudden he played, what, the first quarter, more snaps, all kinds of snaps, and then all of a sudden last Friday it was, ooh, my arm, ooh, my arm. He pulled a Rodney Dangerfield. My arm's broken. My arm's broken. Does there, I, I talked about this back then, and I'm going to talk about it now. This is all calculated for Dion to not have to step on the field and play for the Atlanta Falcons. Because all of this could have been cleaned up in January, February. But they conveniently, just random happenstance, schedule the surgery for the week of mandatory minicamp. And that would keep them out of that, keep them on the pup list for training camp. Then all of a sudden, get on the field and showcase against Jacksonville. Then all of a sudden, okay, we can't find a trade partner. Oh, we still hurt. Day-day. Uh, Did you watch the Jacksonville Falcons game at all? No, uh, I did not get a chance to watch that. What I'm trying to find, was there anybody on the broadcast or anything like that? Because it's Steve Weish, it's DJ Shockley, it's all guys that are here in Atlanta. Did anybody say anything about Deion Jones was pulled off the field because he was still hurt and injured? That he was still hurt? I I I never heard one word after he came off the pup list that he was hurt. Then all of a sudden, he showed up on IR. Jalen Mayfield, I understood. He'd been dealing with illness in his back and everything like that. That's why I didn't think he and Marlon Davidson would both make it, but they both did, but they're both on IR. What else do you need to realize that they don't want Deion Jones on the field in this defensive set? It's fun in the preseason against Jacksonville. Now it's time to get ready for New Orleans. Oh, yeah, he's on IR and he won't be available until the fourth week of the season or he's got to miss four games and then come back. This is so calculated by the Falcons in the way that this has been handled. And if you don't think otherwise, you're crazy. I'm here to tell you, you're crazy. Because we got no indication that Debo was going to miss the first four games of the season once he got pulled off the pup list. We sort of knew with Mayfield... We knew what Marlon Davidson could be. We wondered about Drake London, and at least he's back at practice. You know, again another guy. Oh, nothing. He didn't have nothing going on, but he's a he's a first round rookie who missed all of preseason, except for the five plays that he made. All but five plays of the preseason and a month of practice. No biggie, right? That that's. I mean, I know every team in the NFL, their game plan for their first round rookie is to not have him practice for a month during training camp, right? That's, that's exactly how NFL teams draw it up is, hey, let's sit our first-round rookie out of training camp for practices for a month. Isaiah Oliver, okay, at least I understand he's coming back from injury. Now where that messes you up is your nickel corner. So that means most likely D. Alford, who I thought had a good camp, thought he had a terrific preseason. He'll probably get a shot to start at nickel corner now, which I'm going to be interested to see what he looks like. Because you know how I feel about Isaiah Oliver. He did play well when he was healthy last year. That's the first time in his career, in in four seasons with an Atlanta Falcons in his Atlanta Falcons career, that he had played well. And they brought him back for a one year, one point two five million dollar deal. And now he's hurt. Now he's going to miss the first four games of the season. So let's see what D Alford can do. We'll talk more about this in the, in the flyover coming up at the top of the hour, but obviously we know now drew Dolman is the center data. I know you follow me on Twitter. If you look at my tweet, I put out the Spider-Man meme. I I pointed you, you pointed me. (laughs) We're the same exact guy. Because again, I, I, it's not that I don't care who wins the center battle. But to me, they're the exact same guy. They profile, read their strengths and weaknesses. They're both basically exactly the same. Despite what somebody on Twitter tried to tell me about how Drew Dahlman profiles like Nick Mangold, that person should be banned from Twitter for saying that to me. I don't usually block people. I should block that guy for telling me that Drew Dahlman profiles like Nick Mangold, for God's sakes. So now we know Dahlman's going to be the center which, again, what I, what I could not live with is Jalen Mayfield and one of our centers standing side-by-side side one another. I told you before, I can live with one. I can't live with both. So now that we know that Wilkinson is going to play left guard, okay, one of those guys will play center, and I'm okay with that. Do I feel great about it and we're going to do- – no. But I certainly don't want to see Hennessy or Dolman and Mayfield stand to their left. Because I know what's going to happen then. It's going to be another disaster. And I'm going to watch my quarterback get his head caved in week one. Week one. Because here's the other part, and this is all we need to watch on Sunday, is what does our line of scrimmage do in this game? To give you some perspective, Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport combined. Combined. Ready? Ready? For 21-and-a-half sacks last year, okay, our whole team only had 18. You want to scare your stat than that, Day-Day, okay? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Take away Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport. Take away that 21-and-a-half sacks from the New Orleans Saints, okay? Ask me how many they had when you take away those two guys. How many when you take away those two? 24-and-a-half. they still had – wow. They had 46 sacks on the season. 46. That's why your defense can stay in it. That's why even with bad quarterback play and Taysom Hill at quarterback, that's why you can stay in it. Because if you can sack the quarterback 46 times, you're going to be around a lot. And so how we play against that defensive line of the Saints – is the first thing to watch. Look, I've said, Caleb McGarry won the right tackle job. He took that job. If it was truly a competition with him and a Fetty or anybody else, he took that job. He came in looking like Thor. He was all balked up, ready to go. Thought he had a good camp. Thought he did everything that you could want from a guy to go win a job. Okay. But, Day-Day, ask me what they don't see when they're in camp or during preseason. I think I know where you're going, but what don't they see? They don't see Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport. They don't see Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney. They don't see the Bosa brothers. They don't see Khalil Mack. They don't see Jonathan Allen. They don't see Chase Young. They don't see all those guys. They don't see Arden Key. They don't see Tariq um Uh, Eric Armstead, they don't see all of those kinds of guys on on the defensive line, inside, outside. They don't see Aaron Donald. Nobody has to block any of those guys in preseason. Or if they do, they block them for about three plays, and that's it. So how those guys hold up is going to be fascinating because that's the first thing I'm looking at is, what are we going to do to slow down their pass rush? And you can miss me with the idea of running quarterback. Because if you think running for your life is a good strategy in the NFL as to how to make plays, your offense is going to get throttled if that's what happens. If that's how you have to make plays in the NFL, quarterback runs for his life and has to throw it all around, you're going to be in trouble. So, look, I'm excited. I want to see what the Falcons do. Of course, we'll start all of our coverage on Sunday with the Wade Ford Tailgate Show. Myself and Hugh Douglas, we will be at the smooth lot right there on Northside Drive getting you ready for pregame action. Chris, go forth, Harper, LaBelle, and then Wes and Dave will have the call. But I I am going to watch that line of scrimmage, especially on our offensive line. Defensive line, I think, will do some things. You know, they have a good offensive line. They've had some pieces that they've lost over the last couple of years on their offensive line, some, you know, high-caliber players. You know, three, four years ago, they were as good an offensive line as anybody in the league. They've lost some of those guys now, but they're still pretty good. And I do think that we'll be able to get home a little bit on Jameis Winston. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But either all our offensive line is going to hold up against what their front guys can do, or it's going to be a long day for our offense out there. And, again, I'm hoping D. Alford, you know, obviously we know Hayward's going to play well. A.J. Terrell were good at corner. Grant and Hawkins at safety. But that nickel corner in today's NFL is a very, very important piece. And I'm hoping D. Alford can kind of play like he did in the preseason. A ball-hawk guy, go after the ball, make plays on the ball, go make some things happen. And, and for a guy like D. Alford, these are chance, these are your opportunity. To quote the great Jim Ross, you got to maximize your minutes. That's what guys like D. Alford have to do. This is where guys have to take advantage of if guys are hurt, this, that, and the other. And the inside backers will be Rashawn Evans and Michael Walker, which that's what it was always going to be even if Debo was healthy. Now they can stash and dash him for a few weeks as they continue to look for a trade partner, right? I've said before, I don't believe Deion Jones is ever going to wear 45 for the Falcons and suit up in a regular season NFL game again. I don't. I'm not buying it. I'm not believing it. I will tell you if they can't get a deal done, they'll still find a way to IR him or something. I just don't think that they are going to put him in this scheme and in this system that Dean Pease has. And Dean Pease has done nothing but throw bouquets at Michael Walker. He's thrown bouquets at Rashawn Evans, and Day Day. Ask me how many comments and. Quotes and stuff as he had about Deion Jones. Dean Pease. How many he had? Zero. (laughs) Zero zip nada. I haven't heard – I've heard Arthur Smith because he keeps getting asked about it. I've yet to hear Dean Pease comment. I've heard him say Michael Walker's a guy that they knew going into this year would have a bigger load and a bigger role in the defense. Rashawn Evans, he couldn't believe that Tennessee didn't give him a fifth-year option. And Rashawn Evans is going to lead this team in tackles this year. I firmly believe it. But nobody has said a word about Deion Jones. Well he's progressing. Well he's the here. Well, you know, he's he's around. In in all honesty, he was day day. You were out at camp. He mm-hmm. was so far down the field yeah. that honestly yeah. I thought he was gonna pick up a weed eater <laughs> and start doing lawn maintenance because the only guys that were around him where he was working on were the guys mowing the lawn <laughs> in the field. They were the guys mowing the field. I thought Deion yeah. Jones was gonna grab instead of grabbing a football, I thought he was gonna grab a weed eater and go and go weed eat around the goal around the goalposts and you know, around some different sidewalks and stuff like that. And, and we'd eat for a while because that's how far away from the rest of everybody else that he was doing his side work and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, right. if you were out there, yeah, right. we joked about it. I, you know, I'm standing there with, with Jarvis and other people and, and some, you know, other reporters and stuff like that. And we're just kind of laughing about, you know, like Deion Jones, he could get a workout and just running back to where the team was. So I'll say again, I don't think he ever plays another down for the Atlanta Falcons. But Hope Springs eternal on Sunday. I want to see what this offensive line does against that pass rush. 46 sacks. You can't dumb your way in the NFL to 46 sacks out there. Going to have their hands full. You got to block those guys up front. All right, Chip Towers, when we get back, we'll talk some Georgia football with him as that was a throttling that the Bulldogs put on Oregon on Saturday. It's up next, Chuck Ring, the Key Studios. Sports right now to the game, the Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. It is a John Truckery show coming to you live on this Tuesday evening after what was a complete annihilation by the Bulldogs against the Oregon Ducks, sent them flapping home. Uh, Unbelievable win, and now the Dogs get ready for their home opener against Samford, not Samford and Son, just Samford. We head out to the wadeford.com hotline. Let's talk to our buddy Chip Towers. He, of course, covers all things Georgia Bulldogs for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution ajc.com is where you can check out all of Chip's work. Check out all of his latest articles up there, and of course follow him on Twitter at c towers ajc. And as always, Chip uh, feels good to start the season off with a blowout win, does it not?
1: Yeah, it does. Especially when you're in my business, you know when they when you win forty nine to three, you're not sweating deadline too much, you know on what that story's going to read like. Uh, you know you, you you said it, total annihilation domination, whatever word you want to use. And uh, uh, it was impressive. I, you know, I didn't expect it. I expected Georgia to win. Uh, but, you know, I was questioning whether they would cover. I mean, I thought I thought Vegas was was getting it about right. But, uh, you know, obviously they didn't, Vegas didn't know, and I didn't know, you know, really how dominant that defense was going to be and, and how sharp and Bennett was going to be right out of the starting box.
0: Let me ask you as far as as far as it goes how much do you think saturday was scheme and game plan and execution for georgia versus georgia just in all honesty overwhelmed oregon with its talent
1: yeah well i I don't think we'll we'll know for several weeks now first off uh you know i don't think the uh talent differential was that great or should have been quite that great right i mean uh You know, just based on recruiting rankings and what uh, Mario Cristobal had done with that Oregon program before some of the players that Dan Lanning just signed in the last class. You know, there there was a handful of guys on Oregon that Georgia recruited unsuccessfully, right? Um, But, you know, I do think it was, you know, expertly schemed on both side to the ball, some of that might have had to do just with the fact that Dan Lanning was going to be on the other side of the ball. But Georgia was very different on offense. I mean, they were, you know, they looked a little like Gus Malzahn's offense a little bit. A lot of lateral movement, a lot of motion, a lot of misdirection, Um, you know, uh, getting the ball, you know, trying to get one-on-one matchups on the perimeter. And they did that uh, to a great degree. Uh, and defensively, uh, you know, I, I do think that was a talent thing from the standpoint of, you know, the guys that replaced the guys that went to the NFL are pretty good too. And, um, and, and played that way and, and, and played well. So, you know, I, it, it somewhere lies in between. I, I don't think we'll know for a while, you know, Oregon plummeted in the polls. I thought they were over valued out of the box, uh, you, you know, I, I eleven kind of surprised me when they they kind of crept up there. A lot of excitement over Dan Lanning and what he was doing out there. But it, it'll probably be October before we have a real strong read on on where they are overall. But you know, bottom line, Georgia looks like they're going to be pretty good again.
0: How surprised were you that Stetson threw it thirty-one times, and not just threw it for thirty, not just threw it thirty-one times, but averaged 11.9 yards per attempt. And he's a high yards per attempt guy anyway. But, I mean, I'm surprised that he had 31 pass attempts in that game. But, hey, listen, if that's what Georgia's offense can do, stick it right to him.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. Schematically, they were a little bit different. And, you know, I don't know if that is any kind of statement at all on Georgia's running back room. I don't think it is. I think if it's any kind of statement, it is that, You know, obviously, Kenny McIntosh is a guy that does well catching the ball out of the backfield. And he was Georgia's leading receiver, had 117 yards or 119, whatever it was. And, and, uh, you know, that's just something that he does extremely well. But, you you know, just listen to Kirby's comments after the game. You know, Georgia is trying to change the narrative this year, whether it's with Stetson Bennett or, any other quarterback and 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 say to wide receivers wherever they happen to be that you know you can come to georgia and get fed i mean if there's any negative out there uh in the universe about georgia that would be it georgia hasn't recruited wide receivers to the level they have every other position now it's not that the guys that they're getting are bad i think georgia's uh, scouting is is overall pretty good. I mean, even like a guy like Dylan Bell, they just got out of a Texas, is, is a three-star guy. A.D. Mitchell was a three-star guy. There's no question uh, they're exceptional players, uh, but there hasn't been enough George Pickens and Jermaine Burtons uh, and hadn't been enough throwing around to make that a trend. And I think Kirby's, you know, uh, trying to make a concerted effort to change that to whatever degree he can.
0: Bulldog reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Chip Towers, joining us here on the waitfor.com hotline as we look back at Georgia thumping Oregon 49-3 to as they get ready for their home opener against Samford. You know, Chip, to your point, I, I do think that Stetson looked like a – he looked like a national championship quarterback, grasping of the offense – It's a scary proposition to think about. I mean, again, I know people are talking Heisman and all this kind of stuff, but it's a scary proposition to think about him taking that next step forward because they can get to that next level. And I think that what he did on Saturday in running that offense and his grasp and comfortability, you could just see, you know, the confidence there. And I know he plays with that swagger, but you could just see a guy who really now feels like he's in a good spot and can really take the next step with this team.
1: Yeah, there there's the confidence and there is the talent as well, John. And you know, the thing about the whole Stetson Bennett phenomenon, I, I do think it's a phenomenon, but you gotta remember, you gotta go back to Mel Tucker and Georgia's defensive players preparing for the Rose Bowl in twenty seventeen. That's when we all first started hearing about Stets and Bennett. And they, they they were saying un, unprompted, you know, Mel Tucker says, well, we're getting a great look from our walk-on quarterback, Stetson Bennett. He looks every bit like Baker Mayfield out there. He's given our defense fits and practice, and we're going to have to do better, or we're going to be in for a long day, you know, in the Rose Bowl. And they were. Think about that game, you know. Um, Baker May Georgia won, but it wasn't because Baker, Baker Mayfield didn't play good. Well, well, maybe Stetson Bennett is a little Baker Mayfield. Maybe he's a little Drew Brees, Doug Flutie, whatever you know, whatever you want to say. I mean, if you look at him, he he wiggles out of trouble. He can run pretty good. He's got an arm, a little bit of moxie. Not afraid to throw it, you know, throw the hard pass. Um, I mean, you know, I, I and and you say it's it's probably a long shot they win it wins Heisman. It probably is, but. You know, his odd shot down in Vegas uh, this weekend, and with good reason. Because if, I mean, if you got a team that's going to be in the national championship hunt, then you should have a quarterback that's in the Heisman hunt. And, you know, who knows? He may get invited to the downtown athletic club after he will if he continues to play like he did Saturday. That was an 82% completion percentage with three throwaways and one drop. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty good take. Uh,
0: Defensively, boy, listen, I think Christopher Smith is going to be a real disruptive force back there. And he was SEC defensive player of the week this year and er, this week. And I I love the kid and I loved what he was going to bring anyway to this team. So much attention that was focused on Keely Ringo going into the season. And rightly so. He's going to be a high NFL draft pick. But Christopher Smith feels like one of those guys from Mark Rick's early days that, is really sort of the captain of that defense back there and just makes all kinds of havoc plays and makes things happen for that secondary.
1: Well, he definitely is. I mean, I mean, he's one of those stories. I mean, he's an Atlanta boy through and through, went to Hapeville Charter. Uh, he's a fifth-year senior, came in as a three-star, really didn't start until last year and, uh, and played great. And listen, I don't think people realize he played hurt last year uh, you know, he had a great game against Clemson to open the season. I I can't remember exactly where he got hurt, but he played hurt all season long. He had a shoulder situation. He had a knee situation. He was gimpy when Georgia played against Alabama in the SEC championship game. He's healthy now or semi healthy after that hit he made uh, for a pass breakup. But he is a, a special player, de- definitely the leader on that defense. And listen – you know, Louis Seen moving on. I was concerned about Georgia's safety position. Now, good old dirty Dan Jackson, you know, he's going to be in the right position, make the right call, and play well, but he's just not the dynamic player that Lewis Seen was. Well, you know, Malachi power starts looks like he might be. And so that combination back there, really all three of them, you know, you got a heady veteran player, uh, players in, in Dan Jackson and in Chris Smith, and then. You got Malachi Starks, who's been creating a buzz, really since he got on campus. Uh, as we saw from that from that interception, um, I think Georgia ended up in pretty good shape. Same thing for Kamari Laster now, over on the other side. He actually had fewer targets in the game than Keeley Ringo got. Now I don't know if that's because you know he's fantastic uh, in coverage. Georgia changed a little bit, and they're flipping the the field in the boundary corners this year, as opposed to always playing. Right left, like they did last year. So I I don't know. We hadn't had a chance to ask Kirby what that's all about just yet. But, um, you know, I I think they ended up reloading pretty well in in the secondary.
0: You know, Chip, and I understand, I understand with everything being made out that, well, you know, Georgia lost five first rounders and they lost 15 total guys. And, you know, I've talked to some other Bulldog people that they keep bringing all that up. But I think, if anything, Saturday just showed you that with what they've done recruiting and and the talent still there, like, I I don't know. Like, I I guess I'm surprised when I hear people talk about, well, you know, it's hard to lose all these NFL guys. Well, hell, look at the guys that they played on Saturday. They're all ready to be in the NFL. All of those guys you saw are ready to be in the NFL. I just think the idea of – I'm I'm not sure even some people maybe locally – have the full grasp of the idea of how good this program is, how good a shape that they are, and how much talent is not just here today, but is here for the next few years with this program?
1: Well, it's It's a young team right now, especially on the defensive side of the ball, as you alluded to. And listen, you know, I mean, Kirby was there at Alabama for nine years. uh, And it was one of those things they said, is it him or is it Sabin? You know, I think we're learning that, you know, Kirby Smart had a lot to do with Alabama's success, certainly their defensive sex, success during that run. But, you know, he was also one of Nick Saban's lead recruiters. And so he's carried that over to Georgia. If you look at the last five years or six years, I can't remember what it is, but Georgia's average recruiting class is 2.3 with a couple of number ones in there. Well, I mean, if your average recruiting class over the last five years is 2.3. Uh, how many teams are behind you in recruiting. It's inexact. It's an inexact science, but that means you're recruiting better than, you know, more than, better than 98%. There's 130 teams in Division One, so you're recruiting better than than 99% of them, um, and, and that's coming through on the field. Now, not everybody hits, but I, I do think Georgia does an exceptional job in evaluation, and they should. I mean, Georgia has – the number one recruiting budget in the country, and they have the largest support staff in the country. This is not a fluke. This wasn't just let's go out and get all these guys. You know, Kirby's organized it to a point that they all, they all have tasks, and, you know, they know who the best guys at each position are, not just in Georgia but across the country, and they're going after them. And they don't always get them, but they're in the hunt, and they know what the good ones look like. So sometimes they settle for a three-star and say, okay, we're going to have to coach them up and develop them. But they know how to do that too.
0: Check out all of his work at AJC.com. Lots of great information related to the Georgia Bulldogs, as always. Check him out on Twitter, at c AJC. Chip Towers joined us on the waitfor.com hotline. Chip, as always, man, appreciate it, buddy. Good stuff, uh, as always, man. And, uh, man, it's going to be another fun ride. I Look, I, I liked what Florida did on Saturday. But there are very few teams in this country that are going to play at the level that Georgia is this year. So it's going to be another heck of a ride for us. Looks that way. Thanks, Chip. Uh, We'll be back. John Chucker on Sports Radio. Now to the Game and the Odyssey.com app.